The only constant in business is change. Welcome to Trends, Bends, and Opportunities, the show that explores business ups, downs, and possibilities. I'm Pat Lynch, and I'm a retired police supervisor, and now I teach and mentor real estate agents who are looking to stand out above the rest. My partner is Dr. Lauren Murfield. He's a former college professor who now works with business leaders, small and large, to do what they never thought possible. Together, we're Doc and the Cop, and we're here to help you think bigger, reach higher, and do what you never thought possible in order to deliver disruptive success for today's world. Let's go. Pat, you're going to have to help me out. Qualtrick? Qualtrick, hey, good job. Hey, Whoa. old dog nature. Yeah. Anyway, he was sharing from Minneapolis, but even more important, he was talking about he keeps touch with his home country of Poland. Fascinating information comparing, you know, Minnesota and Poland and what's going on in the rest of the United States. Go back to Facebook Live, or better yet, go to thinkingdisruptive.com. There you can watch it. You can watch it or you can listen to it, either one. You want to go back to that. And by the way, while we're on it, if we go back to Monday, Pat, Monday, we had Kenny Muncha who was in Savannah, Pat was up there with him. And where we had over the, over 600 viewings of that, that episode alone. Yeah, that one was our hottest uh, live so far. And uh, the, uh, we had one earlier, the infectious disease doctor. Yeah, but, Dr. Berman, was but on, our, on our live portion, Kenny's been the number one and the, the view counter keeps rolling like it's on a bicycle. It's phenomenal. Our show's finally catching up, taking off. People are finally forgetting that it's a snow day and uh, and moving on. Um, well, we've got we've got a real good show tomorrow. You don't have to go into Mexico, Minneapolis, Poland, and now Boston today, but tomorrow we're bringing it back home to the local South Tampa Chamber of Commerce. Uh, what's her official name? CEO. Uh, CEO. Okay, I like that. Uh, Kelly Flannery, you're going to want to hear this because it's local. It's good. We're going to get down, down and uh, and really find out the intricate details and what you need to help reopen your business. But before we do that, we have got a special guest today, Edith Anderic Harvey. I know her through a friend of mine. that's a PhD. She's comes out of her MBA or master's in, um, from Purdue, but she's a business consultant out of Boston. I'm going to leave it at that, and I'm going to let her explain anything else, because <laughs> it's our chance to hear what's going on in Boston about the trends, the bends, and I keep wanting to say automobiles, but it's actually opportunities. Welcome, Edith. Thank you. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks, Pat. Looking forward to spending time with you guys this afternoon. So it's, uh, you know, it's an interesting time here, sure, as I'm sure it's an interesting time there, as we're all, uh, you know, in whatever phase we're in now with this uh, huge disruption that has happened, you know, I was thinking about it today. And, you know, it was like we were all driving down the highway at 60 or 70 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, there was a boulder that fell in the road in front of us. We all had to take a very sharp right turn uh, to, to miss it. Now we're trying to figure out how to get back to wherever it was we were all going. What a great way of putting that. And, 
<laughs> unfortunately, some of us have turned left, some turned right, some are still sitting on the side of the highway waiting for further direction. Um, waiting for somebody else to move the boulder. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. We, we talk about that a lot on this show about people sitting at home uh, like it's a snow day. You're from Boston. Yep. You know what a snow day is in hurricane yep. or in Florida. We would call that a hurricane day. Uh, yep. but, but before we get too far into, into um, the agility question, what are things like in Boston? So what are they like? We are, you know, Massachusetts, I think, was the last state or one of the last states to quote unquote reopen, um, you know, and we're taking it very slowly, very cautiously, uh, you know, kind of kind of peeling back very slowly as people are beginning to think about what does reopen actually mean um, in Boston and Cambridge, which sit right across the river from each other. They're not allowing, uh, you know, offices to open for, I think, another week or two. Um, you know, officially in other parts of the state, they're allowed to go back at about a 25% capacity. Um, but, you know, still restaurants aren't open, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's, uh, it's um, you know, and, you know, and it's interesting to watch because we're definitely a little bit behind some of the other parts of the country that are coming in with this and what they're doing. And, you know, really seeing, uh, you know, as you guys mentioned, I'm a, I'm a business consultant. I work with uh, organizations and universities, primarily in the tech and innovation sector, um, to really think about, uh, you know, this idea of agility and where they take in the business, uh, you know, whether it be time of COVID or not time of COVID. Um, and so it's been sort of fascinating to watch everybody get uh, get into crisis mode and adapt really, really quickly over the last few weeks uh, and uh, seeing how that will uh, keep going forward. Absolutely fascinating what's happened because, you know, it, I don't know if we've ever had this before, uh, this much of a shutdown. When you're working with these, what are the trends that, the, uh, that you're seeing in business owners? What are they thinking? What are they doing? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I mean, in, in the past several weeks, it's been this total readjustment to remote. You know, how do I work with a team that's traditionally all been, you know, it, whether they were co-located or maybe some of them were remote or maybe some of them were in different offices. You know, they had kind of gotten used to that rhythm. And now all of a sudden you have, this work from home going on and it's not, oh, we're all working from home and we're all basically working the same way we did it before. It's just, we're doing it from our houses. You know, you've got people dealing with, uh, you know, the offices, the kitchen table and uh, how am I supposed to homeschool my kids? And, you know, we've got four, the four-year-old in the background wanting lunch and, um, and also seeing them interestingly struggle with actually working longer and more than they had been before. And I've talked about it with a number of clients, this whole, you know, because the laptop or whatever device we're using is, you know, right there, this pull to just, well, you know, I can go back to it or I can do this or I can do that. Or, you know, well, I took out an hour, you know, between one and two to do something with my kids. So I'm going to get back on. And then before I know it, I'm working into the night and talked about this, you know, need to kind of recalibrate how we cue each other about we're done you know mm -hmm. for the day how do you turn it off when it's sitting right there 
uh, you know, is an issue. And, you know, we know that's been an issue for a long time, right? You know, talk about people being married to their phones and can't get through a dinner without picking it up when the, you know, it pings to let you know you've got a text message or an email or something. Um, but, you know, people, I think, are feeling it in a really different way now, this ability to to shut things off when they need to and the feeling of I'm never in the place I'm supposed to be. You know, someone said to me, I feel horrible that Netflix is babysitting my kids eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're in the next room, but I'm supposed to be working. And, uh, you know, so, so that whole kind of push and pull of where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? How am I supposed to be doing this? I think is impacting people too. So do you have any advice for those people? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think there's there's several things. You know, we talk about this idea of agility, and so when I think about agility, what agility is is it's the it's the ability to to embrace change and to transform information and ideas into um, opportunity and action. Um, and so for you know a, a number of people, and again, I tend to work a lot with leaders in organizations, so it's talking with them about what they can do with their teams and how to do that. You know, I mean, I think it all starts with going back to the basics, you know, what is the clear, compelling purpose for what we're doing and why we're doing it? Um, When change happens, people feel like their whole world has been disrupted. And in this case, our whole world was disrupted. Um, And they often are feeling like, well, what should I be doing? What shouldn't I be doing? Where should I be going? What should I be focusing on? What are the priorities today? And especially because they've been changing sort of rapidly. Um, over the past period of time, but going back to what is that purpose? You know, what is our purpose? What are we trying to achieve? Who are we trying to impact? What are we trying to make a difference about? And I talk about purpose as the guardrails for action. Um, You know, when things get disrupted, people feel like I'm not sure sometimes what I'm supposed to be doing or not doing, but that purpose helps give me those guardrails. So when you're talking about people working remotely, when you're talking about decisions having to be made differently, when you're asking people to try new things, when you're asking people to speak up in different ways, you know, those guardrails are important because they let people know sort of exactly where can I go with this. It's like, you know, when the leader is first trying to get feedback from their people in any situation and they say, so tell me what I, you know, what could I be doing differently? And more often than not, they'll tell me and I get this blank stare, you know, or the person says, oh, no, you're fine. Everything's great, right? And again, there's all sorts of reasons why that happens, right? Hierarchy in organizations, you give me my raise, you help me get my next promotion, whatever it might be. But it's also because I'm not really clear, like, what I'm allowed to say and what I'm not allowed to say. And when you have that purpose, you know, when you have that, that kind of the purpose followed by the priorities, the opportunities, you know, we're going to focus on those kinds of things. It lets me know where I'm allowed to speak up. And it makes it easier to feel that, um, you know, uh, Amy Edmondson calls it that psychological safety, um, where it's okay um, to say something that might be um, different or difficult to hear or a new idea um, or admitting a mistake or something like that. So I think it really starts there, you know, with this idea of, you know, what's the purpose um, for that? And then, you know, a second thing is, as leaders, sometimes we feel like we have to have all the answers. And what you need to have actually is the ability to ask really good questions. 
so that other people can help give you the answers. You know, they've got, you know, they're all dealing with whatever they're dealing with. You know, they're all closer to the customer. They're dealing with the processes, the systems that you're working in. They're facing these things. And they're also really intelligent people who want to bring a lot to their work, who want to get stuff done. And, you know, when asked are usually places where you're going to get really, really great ideas about how to actually make this thing work, whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and not only to make it work, but to find those opportunities, to find those places where you can take the next step, where you can embrace change, where you can, uh, uh, you know, not be saying, oh, you know, here comes another change being rolled down from headquarters or wherever it's coming from. But how can we actually be part of initiating and creating change that's going to help move the business forward or move the organization forward? If you're a business leader and you want to do what you never thought possible, connect with Dr. Murfield at murfieldcoaching.com. That's murfieldcoaching.com. You said you do a lot with tech companies. You would yeah. think the nature of their business would make them agile, make them disruptive thinkers. But is that really true inside the organization? Or do you have, is that, is that where you have to come in and loosen yeah, things up? It, you know, from the tech perspective, you're right. They are innovating, they're disrupting, they're doing interesting things in the market. You know, one client that I worked with for a number of years, I've always taken pride in my ability to say I really deeply understand my client's business. This company was, is so bleeding edge and high-end tech in what they do that they were the first client that I've had in over 20 years where I just sort of was like, I, I honestly can't explain what you guys do. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I just sort of know in general what it is. So, you know, the bleeding edge of things in the marketplace, but it's when you, when, you know, so, so sometimes that innovation, that creativity, that kind of thing doesn't translate into, as a leader, how are you engaging people? How are you working with people? How are you bringing out the best in people outside of go code or go, you know, design this piece of the software or go, you know, interact with the customer around this or do the quality work over there. And that's where you really see it is it's, you know, they, they get how to do it in the tech world, in the tech side of the business, in the human side of the business is where they struggle with it. Yeah, that's not uncommon at all, is it? Because I, I know I have a son in computer help desk. He stands out because he, as one of his first bosses told me, he says, he's got the unique ability to explain technology to an executive without making him feel stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, and it's you know, and, and you know, when you, when you start talking about people who are just, you know, in some cases, you know, absolutely technically brilliant people. I mean, truly just like on a different level. Um, and their expectations about what it means to lead. Nobody ever actually taught them how to lead. You know, it's kind of like, well, you were great at fill in the blank. You know, you were the best software engineer. You were the best analyst. You were the best whatever it was. Here, let's make you manager. And it's a completely different job. It's a completely different skill set. It's a completely different expectation that there is of you. And so, you know, layer on top of that, not only do we want you to do this people thing well, 
but we want you to do it in an environment where everything is continually changing. It's not, um, okay, you know, we're going to kind of, you know, go after this goal for a number of years or a number of months and things are going to be pretty stagnant. It's constant change. And so now, now you're asking them to master what's already a tough skill set around being a leader, but now you're asking them to do it in, a, in an environment where stability is not the norm. I've heard it explained that um, making that leap from the doer to the leader is that when you're the doer, 80% of your job is tapped and maybe 20% is people. And that's probably a little low. Yeah. Um, yeah. uh, whereas it gets flipped on its head when you go to be a leader. All of a sudden you've yeah. got 80% of it, which you've not done before. Uh -huh. So uh, that gets that's kind of a challenge. I'm kind of curious too, when you step outside of tech, um, do you find that a lot of people are kind of that doer now and they're not really the leader and that's what this whole thing is throwing them for a loop? Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I think you're finding that it, it, it's, you've got those, just your, what you're saying, those two sides of it, you know? So as a leader, I have to do, right? Because I'm, I'm just like everybody else, I'm trying to figure this thing out. Um, you know, and the people who have traditionally been the doers, you know, are, are still trying to do. It's like, hey, the way this has always worked is somebody tells me what to do. And, you know, to a degree, we have norms about how we do it, that kind of thing. And, you know, I go and I, I'm really, really good at execution. Um, and now we're saying, all right, execute. But on top of that, we need you to lead too. We need you to bring your best ideas. We need you to help us figure out how to do this. We need you to, to and, you know, organizations bear responsibility for giving people what they need to do this, you know, also have to have the ability to say, hey, you know, I made a decision about this over here today. This is what I decided to do with it. And as long as it didn't, you know, cause huge issues or whatever, you know, let the organization say, terrific, great. Let me know what you did, how you did it, you know, so we're all on the same page about it and let's move forward with it. So it is that delicate balancing act because it's not just being just a doer anymore, no matter what title you have, um, you know, isn't the only expectation there is. It's about how do you flex? How do you change? How do you be adaptive? How do you also bring to the, bring to the table your ideas, your um, new ways of thinking, your um, ability to to be able to say, hey, I messed up, and let's all have a conversation about this in terms of what that means, how we move forward, what we're learning from it. And because, you know, if you're going to ask people to step out of their comfort zone and try things differently, they're not going to be perfect at it the first time. So mistakes are going to be part of it. So if I'm in an environment where I don't want to make a mistake, you know, that whole stepping out of the comfort zone is not going to happen. Yeah, you almost have to encourage mistakes. As bad as that sounds, and to disruptive thinkers like us, that, that's easy. Yeah. It's like, yeah. well, I'd rather see you screw it up than yeah. sitting on the couch doing nothing. And, yeah. But, but like you said, and, and once people, that once bitten, twice shy thing, yep. people are uh, like, you know, the last time I stepped out on a limb, somebody pushed me off the, you know, off the out of the tree and I'm not going to do that this time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. And you know, it's, it's so much that 
that uh, cues that you get, you know, whether it be a direct something that happened to you, you know, well, you know, I brought this up to, you know, Joe or Mary, my boss before, and I got slapped for it. So I'm not going to do that again. Or those stories that perpetuate throughout the organization. Well, you know, so-and-so, you know, brought up a lot of things that they thought should be done differently. And they got seen as a troublemaker and you know, they're, you know, look, they're no longer here. And, you know, those kinds of things permeate. And so part of it is, you know, changing the stories too. you know, those stories that are celebrating people stepping out, stepping beyond the status quo, doing some things differently, what the results were, what the impact were, so that those become the stories people hear versus the, oh, you don't want to do that, um, you know, stories. Um, I'm curious if this disconnect between leaders and their team. I don't like the word followers. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious, have you seen more leaders being willing to engage because of this shutdown? Yeah, it's been really interesting. I've been, uh, you know, as I've talked with, with some leaders over the past month or two, they have felt the need to engage, uh, you know, differently. Oftentimes it's, it's sort of by a measure of frequency, you know, hey, I'm talking to my team more now than I have, you know, in the past, uh, you know, I don't know how long. We're having daily 15 minute huddle meetings, uh, you know, just to make sure that we're all on the same page and that we know what we're doing and we know what our priorities are. And I'm checking in with people, uh, you know, emotionally to make sure everybody's okay, uh, you know, with this. And so they are. And I think because we're all allowed to admit in this situation that this is uncharted territory, as a leader, I don't have that, well, I'm supposed to know how I'm doing, you know, what I'm supposed to do and how we're supposed to do this. It's I'm right there with you. Like, uh, we haven't done this before. Let's roll up our sleeves and figure out how to do it together. Um, so you, you, I am seeing that. And I've had people say that their teams you know, some of them, some of the really exceptional ones have done little, you know, kind of pulse surveys or check-ins with their teams about, hey, how's this going? How's this new way we're working together, working for everybody, that kind of thing. And they've had people on their team say, you know, I feel so much more connected. I feel so much more engaged. We're having so much better conversations than we've had before. How are we going to make sure this continues when we're back in the office again together? Um, so the teams are feeling it too in what they're doing. You know, people will often say, you know, a crisis will bring out the innovation and connection that we need. It's what you do when the crisis is over uh, with that. What other opportunities do you see that are kind of coming along from all of this? So I think there's a couple opportunities. I think there really is the opportunity to take what people are learning from this and to make it part of the way you do your work. Right. I talk about this idea of people need to be able to focus on today's priorities and execute on those, but they also need to be able to be thinking about the future and need to be moving the ball forward, need to be able to build for that future. And it's not an either or, it's a both and. And so, you know, I, I think the opportunity. Yeah. So I think it's that opportunity to say, you know what? We did this as part of the corona virus, you know, as part of COVID-19, pulling together, you know, at times some really good ideas from every place we could get them and figuring out how we were going to do this and what we were going to do. And um, 
you know, how do we take that opportunity to continue doing that so that you're creating change agile organizations where you're not just seeing change as a project, you know, and that change management goes along with that project, but rather that change is what's going to give us advantage. Uh, you know, this ability to adapt, this ability to um, have agility, use that as our advantage in the marketplace, I think, is where one of the opportunities is. To instill this thinking of, yeah, you know what, we're really good at what we do, but what got you here is not going to get you there. And how do we continue tapping in and moving forward with that? I think there's also going to be the opportunity moving forward. You know, indications are that people, at least some set of people, are going to be remote and working from home for a longer period of time than a lot of people thought when this all started. So there's also going to be the challenge of how do you maintain that sense of team? How do you help keep people feeling like they're not, um, you know, an island? We're connected, but we're lonely. Uh, you know, as we've all learned from technology, so that you're able to leverage that and keep those teams moving together uh, in the way that um, that you, you know, maybe hadn't thought as much about or thought about differently in the past when it was, well, you know, we have those hallway conversations and we have, uh, you know, get togethers for lunch and, you know, those kinds of things. But how, so how do you keep those those more organic parts of the culture going and how do you embed new things into the culture to make sure that you're taking advantage of all the change and opportunity that there is? If you're a Florida real estate agent and you are looking to stand out above the rest, check out Momentum Real Estate at winmomentum.com. That's W-I-N momentum.com. So could you give us a couple of tips that you've seen either you've suggested in work or that they've used at work to keep you know? Yeah. Yeah, in terms of keeping that together. Yeah, so I think it's, you know, we talked about that clear, compelling purpose. I think it's also setting expectations for people, you know, setting expectations that I, you know, that, that we want to uh, uh, be adaptive, that we want to be doing what we were just talking about, the both and. Yeah, we want to execute against today, but we want to keep thinking about tomorrow and keeping the future going. You know, one of the biggest concerns I hear from leaders is, I don't have time. We're so busy just trying to execute for today. I can't think about next week or next month or next year. Um, and thinking about, you know, it doesn't have to be an either or. How can you do some simple things to build it into what you're doing every day? You know, meetings are a great example of it. So many meetings are spent with sort of information download mode. You know, here's what's going on on my project and here's what's going on on your project and here's the three updates from, uh, you know, my staff meeting that I had and those kinds of things. Well, what if you carved out, first of all, found different ways to share that information so that you didn't have to be sitting around at a table talking about it and change at least part of that meeting into an opportunity for dialogue and that that dialogue be about the future or be about change you know what if we did this how would a competitor look at this very same problem that we're having you know i talk about them as innovator questions if we could start from scratch what might that look like uh you know if we had some uh you know buddy come out of you know if amazon decided to get into our space what would we do uh 
you know, those kinds of things. And those are simple things that you can do in a daily dialogue. These don't have to be enormous, huge initiatives, but just simple ways that you change the way you work as a leader to do that. So those what if questions, you know, setting those expectations that, uh, you know, we're going to have conversations like this, that this is going to be part of how we work. Also setting those expectations around mistakes that we talked about before. The expectation that I, I fully believe that we're going to make mistakes, right? We're going to make mistakes. We're going to talk about them. We're going to use them as learning opportunities. I'm going to admit to my, to my mistakes. You know, a story that I often share is by, um, uh, based on an article written by a person who at one point was CEO of Sure Payroll. And he came into the organization and wanted to create this environment where people could innovate and make mistakes and did all the usual stuff, you know, told his stories about big mistakes he'd made, all that kind of thing, wasn't getting any traction. And finally put in place a corporate-wide competition that was, um, you know, my biggest mistake. And the two rules were every, anybody could nominate, the person you nominated had to be yourself, and it had to be a recent mistake that you had made. And then at the quarterly meetings, they would pull some of them out and talk about them in front of the whole organization. And, you know, the person would get some kind of, you know, prize for, you know, whatever their mistake was. And after six years, it was still like one of the things that people look forward to at the company meetings. It was what people wanted to hear. And it totally changed the tenor about how mistakes were thought about and, and talked about in the organization. How do you have a step from getting vindictive and, and being punished? Yeah, so, you know, I think that that, again, it, it, it goes back to a few things. One is it's, it's setting the expectations. So what I'm saying, I'm going to set expectations. As, as a leader, I'm going to set expectations for, for you, you know, Pat and Lauren, that, that I want to hear about mistakes. We need to talk about this. We need to, to learn from these things. This is how we're going to move things forward. If we're going to be trying out new things, it's not all going to be perfect. So let's talk about that. And so I have to set that expectation for people. But I also have to set expectations for the other leaders in the organization. You know, again, we live in hierarchies. So whoever those leaders are who report, report to us, set that expectation that that's how I expect you to treat um, uh, mistakes, you know, in your area. And if I hear something different, it's not going to be okay. Um, I had a client where this happened very recently. They've had a big uh, business strategy change. They're doing some things differently. They want to put a bigger focus on people. Um, and someone who had been with the organization for a very long time, very tenured, uh, something happened in their area. Uh, there were some punitive things done that the CEO, who's been in his role now for a year or so, didn't find appropriate. And that person was moved on to other things. So, you know, something like that sent a huge message that this is for real what we're talking about here. This isn't just lip service. Um, so it's setting the expectations and then creating the accountability. And the accountability shouldn't be, well, the first mistake you make, you 